willkommen bei Sustain. Wer sind wir? Woher sind wir gekommen? Wohin gehen wir? That's right. Today we'll be talking in German because we are having our podcast at FOSS Backstage. FOSS Backstage is a wonderful conference that focuses on open source sustainability. It is held every year in Berlin. This year it happened on March 17th and 18th. It is hosted by the wonderful Plain Sports. And I had the opportunity of attending virtually and interviewing attendees who were there in person. We focused on software sustainability, what they hope to find in FOSS Backstage, and all the normal good stuff. So without any further ado, let's get to our guest. Here I am today with Richard Bowen. Richard, I think I met you last October or something in Seattle for OspoCon. Can you remind yes. me if A, that's true, and B, where you're working now and what you're doing? Well, I was at that event. Wait, in October? No. Something. I don't know. It was a while ago. It was not somewhere. <laughs> But anyway, at that time, well, and up until two weeks ago, I was with Red Hat. I'd been with Red Hat almost nine years now. Most recently, I was the CentOS community manager. Yep. But last Monday, I started at AWS in the open source group there. I have no idea what I do there yet, so I can't really tell you much about that. But yeah, I've been doing open source stuff for 20-some years, most recently at Red Hat. Congratulations. That's amazing about the new position. I'm really Thank you. happy for you. I assume you're following Spot Callaway there. Is that correct? Yes. Spot and I are on the same team, and we also work with David Nally, who I've also known for many, many years. That makes sense to me. That's great. I love that. So, Rich, I was looking on Twitter. I saw this alone. I said, I have to meditate to achieve the level of Zen that <laughs> Richard Bowen has. And I know that you have an amazing talk. I want you to give me the 30-second to two-minute pitch for what it is to break the bad news to a community. Can you tell me about that? So, if you make your open-source community angry, and as one of the people in the session observed, community is community. So, If you make your community angry, whether that's an open source project or your local bowling league, it's important to listen and acknowledge that their anger is legitimate. That's one important thing, because if you're unable to accept their experience of anger and their reasons for it, then there's no step two, right? I mean, you've got to start there yeah. that their anger is legitimate. You have to be compassionate. You have to tell the truth. You have to not make promises you have no intention of keeping. So that's an important one. If you make a decision and the community gets angry about it and you say, well, I'll, let me see if I can change that for you. And you have no intention of actually doing that. Or if you know that the situation is such that you can't, that's dishonest and just makes the situation worse. But I think that the core of the talk is that You have to remember whose side you're on. So as a community manager, you have to know for yourself, and there's not necessarily one right answer here. You have to know whether it's your job to represent the community or if you feel you're more the representative of your company or if there's some other motivation. You have to be very clear to yourself whose side you're on, who you represent. And that informs everything else. Which hat are you wearing is sort of the analogy that I use, but that informs everything else. There's so much in there that I love. <laughs> I think and also, it's a one-hour talk that I gave in 20 minutes. 
<laughs> Actually, you just gave it in like 60 seconds. So yeah, thank you this, so much for doing that. That was, that was This really conference is just amazing because all the talks are so full of content, so deep. So it's just been great. This is definitely one of my favorite events. Yeah, it seems to be a good one every year. And I think some of these recordings will be available afterwards. One of the things that really strikes me about how you talked about community and acknowledging emotions and listening is that it sounded very similar to how one would talk if one was like a therapist about a person, <laughs> right? So you're talking about real people here. And I think that gets yes. lost a lot. I think a follow-on question I have for that is how do you authentically engage when it may happen that the incentives may be different? For instance, a lot of open source communities are actually run by companies where yeah. the company has a certain incentive towards a bottom line, towards investors, towards continuing to exist, towards not laying off anyone. And that doesn't always match with the community's needs in open source. Do you have any thoughts on what happens when incentives don't align? So this was actually brought up by one of the people in my talk asked a similar question. And the answer is that you have to be authentic ahead before the problem happens. You have to convey up front what the promises are, you know, what the project is about, what you are promising and what you are not promising. So this talk came out of my experience with the CentOS Linux project when we made a change to the project, which angered the community. Did and you change the, the heating on the space bars and then messed up? That's exactly up? right. And, and you know, okay. any of your audience can go Google CentOS Linux and get the full story. It's kind of beside the point for this particular presentation. Yep. But one of the things that contributed to the problem was that there was a perceived promise that was given to the community, or rather the community perceived that there was a promise and we broke that promise. Mm. And we never made that promise, but at the same time, we were aware that the community perceived it to be a promise. Yeah. And that distinction is meaningless. If you know that someone has perceived a promise and you don't correct that misunderstanding, then you have in fact made a promise. And so that distinction there is not a distinction. Yeah, I've and never so, promised to my girlfriend that I wouldn't wake her up at 3 a.m. But if I woke up tomorrow at 3 a.m., she'd probably be pretty annoyed. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a good analogy. And we woke the community up at 3 a.m. And then we said, hey, we never promised to do that. So it's dishonest. And in retrospect, to get back around to your question, it's important to communicate exactly what you are and what you are not. And if the community says, well, I really wanted you to be green... Yeah. And you're like, well, we're red and we're always going to be red. And if you expect us to be green, you're always going to be disappointed. But if you never communicate that, then you are in effect communicating a lie. So what's interesting to me, Rich, is that most of the time, this sort of learning is the kind of thing you find in one or two conference talks. Maybe you'll find it in a workshop. Maybe you'll hear about it when you talk to other people. But emotionally, how to respond to your communities is not a common thing. There's no emotions.md in open source repos that people normally go to to be like, oh, here's a list of the promises that were made. And here's how I keep them. And here's the commitments we signed up for. So yeah. how can we best institute a culture of learning about how to think about how you engage authentically as a contributor, yeah. as a maintainer for these communities? Would you suggest another way of us, say, learning these skills besides going to the one talk or so? So what I wouldn't recommend is that people go through the unpleasant experience that I went through 
of, of being yeah. the lightning rod for the community's anger, because that is an extremely effective way to learn that I wouldn't wish on anyone else. Got it. The trouble with community management is that it's something you kind of learn by doing it. And maybe that's not the case, but all the community managers that I've worked with have learned it by doing it. And so maybe we need some more effective training or books out there on community management. I will say that I've just recently started reading the book, The Art of Community mm. by Charles Vogel. Yep. Now there's another book with that same title by Jonah Bacon, and that's not the one that I have read. The one by Charles Vogel is particularly great because it's not about technology community. It's about community. It's about the things that are universal around all communities. And it's just a fantastic book. And everyone who's in community management should go read that. I wish I'd read it years ago. And if somebody can recommend other books that are of that same caliber, I would love to read them. But once again, I've wandered from your question because I don't know of any really effective and common community manager training or, or courses other than hanging out with other community managers and sharing your most painful stories. And that's what this talk was because yeah. last year was extremely unpleasant for me. And I hope that other people learn from it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I wasn't suggesting that those things exist. I was curious. It yeah. seems like a gap to me in the market. Yeah, I agree. We do. We do have courses on how to build community managers. So Brandeis has one, Ken Udas and Garrett Blank, although Ken has now moved on to University of Idaho, Boise. But they don't really have that. The Art of Community by, by John L. Bacon, I hear, is a great book. I haven't read it yet. I love talking to John L. Bacon. He came on the same podcast. It was excellent. So I would suggest that book, too. But there's no... Yeah, I've, I've heard that it's good. I just haven't read it myself. So Yeah, I don't have a lot of time to read. I'm a software developer slash community manager, which means I'm either tearing my hair out or tearing my hair out. One of the books I would recommend is nonviolent communication. And there's a whole suite of books about that because you're talking about how you present yourself and how you hear and listen. And those are two very difficult things to do. Mm. And so that's just really striking me. I'm trying to bring it back to open source sustainability as a whole. So community managers work very well for large communities. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on your role and how it's changed in the past 20 years, because you now have a long history of working with open source and where you see it's going with how open source is changing and moving. Open source has a lot more open source program offices. We have a lot more maturity in the ecosystem than we used to have. I'm not saying we're more mature, but the ecosystem is more mature. <laughs> I'm just curious where you see the role of community managers going. So the biggest change that I've seen in open source over the past 20 years, and this is probably incredibly obvious, is more corporate involvement. Yeah. And so being a community manager 20 years ago was, first of all, not a formal thing. It was just something that I did in my spare time because I loved the community. And it was dealing with individuals and there was a lot of individual interpersonal conflict to deal with mm. and a lot of egos to deal with. But in today's culture, in today's open source culture, there are all these other issues. There are all these corporate issues. There are all these dealing with the press, dealing with your company lawyer who has objections to how you said something or which patch you've shared. Yeah. And so community management has become much more complicated because of all of the legal and corporate and international issues that just didn't seem to exist. And maybe they did back then. And I was just too young and naive to realize it. You know, the core of community management is still 
software is easy, people are hard. But I feel like the orbital issues have become much more about companies than about individuals. I would agree with that. Interesting. So I'm trying to think of where to go. I mean, I really just want to do this better. I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard to talk about for me because I just, community management is just impossible. I saw a really interesting quote recently from someone that says there is no community. There's just people working together on the same things. And I'm curious how you think of community because that helped me shift what I saw as collaboration and effective collaboration and effective community building. Am I just holding a space for people to say hi to each other or am I actually able to work on things? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. So I've been with the Apache Software Foundation for the last 20 some years. And one of the things that we always say is community over code or community is more important than code. And this always struck me as, well, not always. I suppose recently I've begun to think about the truth is deeper than just those two words because community is not just a people, a bunch of people who happen to be in the same room. It's people with a shared purpose. It's like you say, it's people that are working on something. And this particularly came into focus for me with Charles Vogel's book, The Art of Community, where he was talking about is some people that have a, a similar trait and, you know, maybe even have a similar pursuit. We are a bunch of people who like fly fishing you become a community when you care about one another. Mm. You become a community when your decisions and your actions are not just about being a better fly fisher, but about making your friend a better fly fisher. And that is the distinction between a group with shared interests and a community. So yeah, community is community over code is a great thing to say, as long as you understand that an open source community exists because of the code and because of the shared interest in the code and in sharpening one another in the pursuit of the code. So it's the thing that you're working on is what brings you together. The care for one another makes you a community. I like that. I like that a lot. Rich, it's been great having you on. I want people to know where they can reach you online, where they can go to hear more of your thoughts. You have a blog, you have a Twitter account, that sort of thing. On Twitter, I'm R. Bowen. My blog is drbacchus.com, <laughs> which is a nickname from decades ago that origins are lost in time, but that's where I am. Excellent. I hope that the wine is flowing, Bacchus, I guess, the Greek <laughs> god of debauchery. But I also hope that you have a great time at Amazon. When you figure out what you're doing there, I would like to know. So please right. do posts about that. And thank you so much for coming on today. All right. Thanks a lot. It was great talking with you. So everyone, this is the Pulse Backstage slash Sustain podcast room going on right now in Berlin and sitting across from me at the table, although virtually as I am in Scotland, don't tell anyone, is Paul Bershik, one of the organizers of the conference. Paul, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing very well. Hi, Richard. I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk now and to be on this podcast stage that I helped to dream up. I think you did most of the legwork. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. I can show up randomly from my laptop. So I just want to thank you for that and give credit where credit is due. So I imagine that you get a chance to talk at this event. I imagine you get to come in and do your 10-minute speed and talk about Foss backstage. I want to know a bit more because we have you here sitting across from me. So tell me, what is Plainschwartz? So Plainschwartz is a 
small events company based in Berlin. And we focus on open source conferences, basically. That's our main focus of expertise. We've been doing this for quite a while. So we actually developed out of an, another company that was, I think, quite known in the open source scene in Germany, at least. New Thinking Communications was the name, but New Thinking changed structure and then Plain Schwartz emerged. So yes, the biggest projects we do, for example, is Berlin Buzzwords conference running for more than 10 years now here in Berlin on also data, search, machine learning, and so on. That's been going on for the last couple of years. And then in 2018, we started Force Backstage as one of our other projects. We were the producers of ApacheCon Europe in 2019. So this is the area we are working in, basically. Okay, massive area, massive scope. I love the idea of a conference group just dedicated towards open source, largely because that is the marketing bobble slash term slash buzzword slash overarching thing in the mantle above the church door that I fall under. <laughs> so thank you so much for holding that space. Tell me about how Fosbex has just grown since 2018, including, unfortunately, the COVID pandemic and how that has changed how it is run. Yeah. So in 2018, we kicked it off. So the idea came from Isabel Drostrom, who is very well connected in the Apache sphere. She's been on the board a couple of times in the community development department. And she said, yeah, there are many conferences that all address open source conferences that all address like they all have a community track. And there's always some, yeah, yeah, we talk about the community stuff a bit. But then that means that at, let's say, an Apache con, only the Apache people were talking about their community stuff. And then there was a, a Linux event and only the Linux Foundation people talked about community stuff and they rarely ever met. But they are basically having the same issues because it's the same for everyone. And it's the same for companies in that space, smaller projects, bigger projects and so on. And so we talked to her and said, yeah, actually, why not do like this open source meta conference? Let's not speak about the coding bit at all. Let's cut that from the conference and only do do the governance, do the community management, address the legal stuff and so on. And that's how it came about. And yeah, through Isabel's strong connection to the Apache Software Foundation, that was our starting point, actually. So in 2018, we worked together with them to get it off the ground, to get it running, get an Apache Roadshow associated with it. And it was a very, very nice event, about 300 people, I think, we had there um, together, as I said, with the Roadshow. But it was very Apache focused. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we brought in a few other people, but it still was an Apache-ish event. So then in 2019, it didn't happen for a number of reasons. But then in 2019, we were like, okay, let's do it again. Let's try 2020, great year. And so <laughs> we planned an event. We said, let's keep it small. Let's try a bit of a local approach in Berlin. And we planned it for 100 people. We got about that in registrations and it was scheduled for March, I think, March 2020. Oh, and it just about happened, but we were feeling the first big impact of the pandemic. So it was actually the last on-site event that we did for two years, really. We had like 50 people, so half of the people basically cancelled, couldn't come. Some speakers couldn't come, so we had them remotely the first time we had that at a conference, actually. So yeah, 2020, it was still a nice event. People had, I think, great conversations and enjoyed it, but it was much smaller and it was not what we wanted to do. So then in, in 2021, we went fully online. That went well, and it helped us massively to reach audiences we didn't reach before. We did a lot of outreach and we spoke to people like you, Richard, and tried to broaden really the audience that we have, people that, that know about us. And I think it did as well because... It, this year, being back on site or at 
half-half. Yesterday was online only. Today we broadcast this stage and all other stages are on the online platform for everyone to join. And we have around 60 people here on site. And yes, I think actually in a weird way, the pandemic helped FOSS Backstage to grow. And from reflecting on events in general, I think live streams are here to stay. Online connections are here to stay. And also having speakers present remotely, um, not only because of pandemic reasons, but because I think let's look at sustainability, at climate change and so on. If you have one talk, basically, you don't have to travel from around the world to give that one talk. There's no other reason to come to, to Berlin. So I think it will be more common for people to connect online, to give their talks from a distance. And we try this year to do a good job at that, but we're still learning. We're still adapting to this. But yeah, it is, it is the future of, of events, I guess. I agree with you. I mean, I would love to go to Berlin. I almost thought about going. I got sick last week, so I didn't make any sense. I mean, Shakespeare and Sons, is just, that's the one that's a bagel shop, which is just so good. It doesn't make sense for me to be there, like, for carbon. Like, I'm yeah. totally fine calling you here from my room. It seems to be a better world that way. One of the things where it might make sense is that I'm missing out on the coffee table track. <laughs> I don't get to hang out with people after the event. I don't get to have really great German beers. And so one of the things I'm curious about for you, because you've thought more about this than I have, seeing as how it is your existence. Well, your job, well, part of your job is how are you working to recreate or to enable those amazing connections that you make ad hoc, the, the serendipitous connections yeah. through FOSS Backstage for people who are remote? What are you doing? That is the big challenge because it's very easy to just meet someone Well, while getting some food, while having a coffee, while after the event going to food, to have a drink or whatever. It's very easy to meet people there. And as you said, those kind of connections are really important for conferences. That's what people come for. Yes, the content, of course, they want to learn things, but the, uh, as many people call it, like the hallway track, really, that's what people are here as well. We try to, in our online platform, to make it as open as possible for people to not only send in a question or not only watch. It's not like, okay, we are all watching the same video at the same time, but we said, okay, let's try breakout rooms. So after every session that's running on a live stream, we say, okay, there's, there's a Q&A with a moderator, blah, blah. But then people are free to join a call with the speaker, go there and yeah, just have a more direct conversation like you would go up to a stage after a talk. Usually you would go there and say, oh, there was an interesting talk. I have some more questions more in depth, maybe we can connect and so on. And we try to say, okay, let's have those breakout rooms. And I think they're working fine. They're not replicating it as it is on site, but I think they're doing a good job there. And then, yeah, we tried different kind of tools. So this year we implemented in the platform a, it's a tool that is, it's working like chat roulette, <laughs> but without the negative consequences that chat roulette brought with it. So it's, yeah, it's like a, a tool to where you basically click, okay, I want to meet someone um, and then you can have a short call and then speak to people. And we had different tools where you can have like a group conversation, but there's like, we call it like a spatial chat or whatever. There's, there's Gather, there's Wonder, whatever. There are different tools and we try to implement things like that and say, okay, so yesterday after the online event, we said, okay, there is a little online get together and a few people joined and 
you have the possibility to space out in the same area and you can join different groups and have different conversations all in the same space. And you see who's talking to whom and you can join a conversation that's going on and so on. And it's a bit more of the feel of walking through a conference venue. It's not 100% the same thing, of course, but I think tools will evolve further. We didn't have those tools two years ago. Now they are available and they got better and better. And I think and I hope this is a continuous thing and they will get better and make it easier for people to connect. I think so too. Although I'm often a bit wary about in virtual spaces. I mean, I've been into the metaverse. I've talked to people there. I looked at billboards and NFTs and let's not talk about that. And I've also, you know, talked to my friend Brian Switchkow, who runs one of these community open spaces. He had his wedding on a virtual space. We were all there. It was pretty <laughs> cool. And they're interesting, but I'm also a birder. I'm basically a Luddite. I want to feel dirt when I'm outside. There's a whole other conversation. We could keep going in that vein and talk about the future of those things. But you, Paul, are in a particularly interesting spot because not only are you building spaces for conferences and trying to make sure people connect together, you're also building spaces for this weird subset of people who do open source coding, which the majority of open source coding, I'm going to argue without any evidence for this, happens without people meeting each other online through using GitHub or Git or other yeah. sort of resources. Happens asynchronously and not in the same location. How have you noticed, given your place in the community of, of like event organizers, that your particular clientele influences how you build these spaces? I'm just curious whether it changes how you view things because you do open source stuff. Yeah, it is a different approach there, but it has to be everything we do, all the, the things we try out. It, it is always a kind of a conversation. We try to involve our community of people we know as much as possible and to figure out, okay, what is the best way to engage those people? Because I think if we do a top-down approach, it won't work. So we can have ideas and we can dive into those ideas and we can get into the technicalities how to do it. But then we always have to speak to our program committee, to people like connected to us, to former speakers and so on and so on. And it's a very collaborative process how we do FOSS backstage. So a bit like I spoke to a friend of mine who, who started a podcast as well. And I spoke to him and he was like, yeah, oh, you do a conference, I do a podcast. Maybe there's something we can do together. And then we spoke about, oh, maybe podcast is a good idea. And then the idea came together and that's how many things work, really. Yeah, There is a conversation going on. You talk, you think about it, you talk to someone else about the same thing. You bring a lot of ideas together and then we say, okay, let's just try it. Let's do it. Let's bring a podcast stage here. Let's try this tool someone said that worked at another place and so on and so on. I think it's more a collaborative process than other events probably have because we profited a lot from having a strong community of people who care about the topic who care about the event because it's people say, okay, that's the place where I meet people that I only meet once a year. So everything I do in open source is, as you say, I'm sitting on that time zone. Someone that we never really communicate directly, but this one time we come together for Fospexy, we come together for Berlin buzzwords where all those search people meet each other. It's this once a year thing. Yeah. And so people care and that helped us a lot. <laughs> awesome. I love that. So going a bit more sideways, what's interesting about false backstage is that you are holding spaces for open source people to come and talk together and people who care. And false backstage, it's a big event in my community, at least. I keep seeing it come up as like, oh, we got to submit first. 
stuff there. What I am curious about is whether you're thinking about the long-term sustainability of open source and whether FOSPAC Sage and the events you organize and the type of events you organize may actually become part of the development workflow in the future. Maybe not through your company, but through more events like this and more asynchronous or synchronous talking and sharing. And I'm just curious how you've thought about how you're helping the ecosystem as a whole besides just having a one-off conference. Yeah, conferences like we do, like those one point in a year, this one date where people meet, they are interesting to gauge what the state of the discussion is because you bring all this together. And over the years, I noticed as you see how topics shift, just looking at a program, what the focus of a program is. So working with a call for papers, the program is not really defined by us, but by the people who care about the event, who send in their talk and the best ones get in. And then you see, okay, there's this topic development this year. There's a lot of funding and funding and security are two things that popped up a lot this year for obvious reasons. And so I think our events are a good place to gauge what the state of open source or of the conversation is. And I see people meeting around ideas. So I think it's a good conversation starter. And I hope we or other events like ours can bring people together to meet here, to discuss it once, but to stay in touch and maybe build a new sub-community around this issue. Because I think this is one of the strengths of the things we do. We bring different people together. They might not meet in their usual space. They meet here around a certain topic, have this personal connection because, yeah, they had this nice chat and then align the efforts maybe. And then a year later we see, okay, did anything come of it? So as a conversation starter, I think it works well. And I hope it can also influence conversations and bring topics forward. I like that. I'm going to ask a hard question. So you say the Pulse Big Sage has a thumb on the pulse of open source or something similar to that. And that seems to me to be true. I'm looking at the names and I recognize a lot of these names, people giving talks. Tom Spot Calloway, awesome. Ruth Sheasley, Richard Bowen, Denise Cooper, Mary Norton, Salona, Ana Jimenez. Like these are names that I know from the past that I've seen around. The vast majority of these names come from large corporations or have been around for so long they've been in and out of them. And they have worked with basically open source at scale. Almost all these people work in open source at scale. I did not see a lot of names I don't recognize from part-time open source maintainers who maybe yeah. have a couple hundred thousand NPM downloads or people who do stuff on Ruby, but maybe do this in their spare time or maybe do it for work, but they're not part of a large corporation. How do you feel Fosback Sage could do better at actually accessing the rest of the long tail of open source developers? Or do you see this as being an issue? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Every time I look at our program, I think, oh, this is a, a weirdly high profile program we have, yeah. a weirdly high profile speaker lineup. And I'm very happy with that. But yes, you're right. There maybe is the, the, the middle sized projects maybe are, are missing a bit. And um, there are, I'm happy to confirm, there are a few people of those categories in the audience. So they are part of the conversation. But yes, I think it would be better, better for the whole conversation, better for our conference to bring them in more, to have those voices heard a bit more, but it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not easy. That's why it's a hard question. No, I, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Having a call for papers, we try to spread it as widely as possible. And what we did in the past was we also actively approach people 
who were only attendees at a conference before. And we said, hey, you've been to our conference last year. Our call for papers is out. Don't you want to submit something? We would be happy to have you. And actually, a few of those people came back and were like, oh, you really think I could? And like, of course you can. So I think there has to be, and we have to do this more often to really encourage people to submit. Because I think many, if they are working in their smaller things on the side, they sometimes are a bit... Maybe this is an imposter syndrome thing, but they're like, yeah, but I let the people talk about it who are in those high profile positions. And yeah, I'm happy listening and maybe discussing with them and bringing my point, but I know I'm not going to give a talk. I'm not the expert here and so on. And I think they are. So I think some encouragement has to be done, really. I agree with that. And I like that. This is also me. I felt as a conference holder, as a convener of spaces, I tend to go for high profile people. Shoot me. You know, that's just how it is. <laughs> Sustained, which is one of the organizations I represent. Another one is Open Source Collective, which is helping to sponsor Boss Backstage. And if you're interested in going to events like this in the future, but you don't have the funds, reach out to Open Source Collective. We have tickets available for that sort of thing. We have at least one audience member now who has signed up for one of those tickets, which is really great. And thank you, Paul, for enabling us to be able to share that. Sustain, the other organization I work for through <laughs> Open Source Collective, has satellite events. So there's a sustained event pretty much every year in Lagos, Nigeria. And it's awesome. I don't even know how to pronounce Lagos correctly. It might've been Lagos. I always forget. But like they hold a sustained conference anyway without us. And I'm curious, have you thought about having satellite events in other places where there's a more diverse listenership? How would that work? And just, are you planning on doing that sort of thing in the future? Actually, yes. We talked about this during the pandemic a lot because... I think before, to be honest, we were always like, oh, this is the whole live streaming, the whole bringing things to other places, bringing and so on and so on. It's so much effort, probably very expensive. Can we really do it? Is it possible? And so on and so on. Will we find someone on the ground there to hold this? But it's a conversation that is going on in our team as well. And we were thinking about, yes, maybe in the future, doing something and branching out really and letting people host things where they are and come together where they are. One idea that I don't think it's, it's a finished thing yet, but one idea that we had was basically when FOSS Backstage is happening here to maybe have someone local somewhere else in the world who says, yes, I have a space. I'll stream your stages and I have my own program also. So that there is a local place for people to watch what's happening here because they maybe can't fly here, visa questions and so on and so on. But also, I don't want to only say, and please watch my content, but I would say there has to be their own space as well. I'm happy to share what we are doing here and they can have that content and engage with the people at FOSS Backstage in Berlin or online or wherever. But if we branch out, then there has to be their own content, their own meetings around it. Otherwise, I don't think it'll work. Well, I think that's possible. And I think it's probably the future of distributed events. And there are conferences that work on this level. And I'm excited about that going forward. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, you are Paul Bershik and you run FOSS Backstage, which is happening right now in Berlin. For those of you who are listening to this after the fact, this is an awesome conference that you should submit to next year. And you can, as Paul is saying, you too are an expert. You can find Paul online at the pb on twitter 
That's only five letters. That is a good handle. Paul, <laughs> it's been great having you. And I hope to hear Thanks, that Richard. it's an overwhelming success. Thanks a lot. Thanks for doing this podcast. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that. Once again, this has been a Sustain slash Foss backstage interview. If you're interested in talking more about these subjects, you can always check us out on Discourse at discourse.sustainoss.org. That is our website. We have a whole forum. We're just waiting to hear from you. We're also curious about your thoughts in general. So feel free to send us an email at podcast at sustainoss.org or on Twitter at sustainoss. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you take care.